Thank you to Audrey for that <clears throat> touch of class in the midst of our service there. I hope you saw the words that uh, <clears throat> go along with that hymn, an old 13th century hymn, very beautiful, so very nicely done. Great to see everybody today. <clears throat> a couple of things I wanted to mention real quick. First of all, you're over here today, all right. <clears throat> he usually sits over there. So the reason the organ's in the middle, uh, Roger mentioned briefly at the beginning, is because we're having the concert uh, with Will and a few of his good friends here next Sabbath afternoon. Uh, so you're going to want to note that and be here to be a part of it. That's going to be a really good event. So <clears throat> I hope you uh, are making plans to be a part of that. Secondly, uh, I wanted to let you know, Candace Williamson, who did the... Um, uh, children's story for us today <clears throat> and that that neat little poem she did she wrote that she did that whole thing herself so wonderful to see the talents of our young people and then and then finally this is my little plug to go along with uh, Tom MD encouraging everybody to participate uh, in the CPR class and and here's here's my plug for it my basic and rudimentary understandings of CPR played a large role in saving my son Nathan's life. So it's not just a, well, that might be nice to know kind of thing. It could be a life or death thing. And uh, I can't always be there. So if one of my other children has trouble, I want you all to know how to do this. So, so think it through and uh, be a part of that. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to know how to do. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, this chance for us to gather here. Now, Lord, we pray that your spirit will come and be with us and give us sharp minds because these are important days. And I believe you want your people to have sharp minds in important days and to understand the times. So, Lord, help our minds to be sharp, that we will understand your word to us, and we will be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start with a question today. Can you tell the difference between which things in your life are bad for you and which things are for your good? Don't answer too soon. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his God. The end is certain. That's our title for our series this fall. The end is certain. And we've got some, uh, some special graphics on these banners up here today that are up for the first time. Our fall series is going to be taken from the book of Daniel, or at least from the context of the life of Daniel. And and when I say that, that might make some of you a little nervous. And when I tell you that this series will run up till around the time of Thanksgiving, that might just flat out terrify you. 
But don't worry, you're going to like this. It's going to be a mixed series, just like the book of Daniel itself is a mixed book. There's, there's some pretty heavy-duty prophecies in there that take some pretty hard work, but there's also some pretty amazing stories that we've told our children all our lives. So there's going to be a mix of stuff. Some days it's going to be a life application story. Other days we will do some hard work trying to understand prophecies. But you're going to like this. And so we've got some special banners. And uh, once again, we were thrilled to have our, our regular uh, banner artist help us out here and put these together. Yes, I'm talking about... Uh, Former Pastor Danny Hernandez helped us out again to get these together. Now, these are actually an interesting composite of things. You see the graphics on there. There's the angel and there's that, the, the image and you see them over there. Those actually come from graphics that my grandfather used to use when he did evangelism. Some of you know my grandfather was a pastor, and years ago when he would do evangelism, this was early 1900s PowerPoint. That's what it looked like. You hung those up, and then, and, and we actually have a picture. Pastor Patty has a picture. If you go up and look close enough, it might be hard to see, but can you see a little bit of handwriting on there? Yeah, that's my grandfather's handwriting. He wrote dates and stuff on there to remind himself while he was doing it of what he was doing. So Pastor Delwin uh, took the time to take the pictures of these. I've got a whole bunch of these in my office that my grandfather gave me. And Pastor Delwin took these pictures and then Pastor Patty got them sent off to, to Danny Hernandez. And it just so happened, we hung these up on Thursday, and it just so happened, who should happen to come by the church on Thursday just as we put it up? That's right, Pastor Danny Hernandez was here this week. And what a treat that was that I'm sitting in my office talking to him and I get a text from Evan that says, come look at the banners. And so I got up and they didn't know he was here. Danny came and surprised Patty and Evan. And uh, we had a good time for a couple hours there talking. And uh, yeah, Danny was still silly. So he grabbed the Christian flag and did his best impersonation of the image. So, so there you go. Nice to know some things don't change, right? Very good. All right. The end is certain. I say that I believe you will like this series, and I do, but here's the thing. Along the way, you're going to have to hang on and stay engaged to understand the points. Don't think you can fall asleep early in the message and pick it up at the end, because you might spend the rest of the afternoon scratching your head if you do that. And to that end... Today, this first sermon of this whole series is no exception. You're going to find great hope and courage where we end today. But before we get there, you're going to have to endure the history lesson. So how many of you like history? Okay, a few of you will be happy. The rest of you try to hang on. Okay, here we go. The days of Daniel's youth when he lived in Jerusalem were not particularly happy days and were not easy days. Just to give you a little big picture understanding here, the Assyrian Empire had for several generations dominated all of reality in that region of the world. But 
The Assyrian Empire had suddenly come under pressures that was causing a very rapid decline. The Assyrians had previous to this, remember they were the ones that had destroyed the Arameans, they were the ones that had destroyed the other tribes of Israel, they destroyed Damascus and Samaria and had become so powerful they were even in control of what went on in Egypt. But at this point in time, at the point where we find the story of Daniel beginning, the strength of Assyria was in serious decline. So much so that the Egyptians had thrown off their overlordship and two other groups were rising to the east in power. One was the Medes, and we'll hear about the Medes again, and the other was the Babylonians, and they were threatening the key Assyrian cities of Asher, from which the name Assyrian comes, and Nineveh. You remember the city of Nineveh? That's where Jonah went and preached. So they were under threat. So in all of this, Judah had become one of those pawns, a vassal state, a territory dominated by the greater powers around it, controlled first by one and then by another. And it had been a really long time since the days of David and the days of Solomon when the influence of Israel had reached from the Euphrates River all the way to the Nile. It had been a long time since those days, since the days when the kings of the other places brought tribute to Jerusalem. Now the kings of Jerusalem sent tribute to everyone else. These days of domination had begun with King Ahaz of Judah who rejected God's offer of deliverance. If you remember the story, Isaiah comes to Ahaz. You see, Judah is being threatened by Israel and Aram. They've gotten together to attack Judah because they're afraid of Assyria and they want Judah to join them in the fight. And Isaiah comes to them and says, don't worry about them, trust God. And Ahaz says, I will not put God to the test. And instead, Ahaz goes to the king of Assyria and makes a deal with him. He says, if you will destroy Israel and Aram, I will be your vassal. And from that day forward, Judah was never truly free again. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, had brought a period of peace and spiritual reform amongst the people. Yet, if you remember his story, it was Hezekiah who, after being miraculously healed by God and then visited by envoys from the east, from this young upstart little place called Babylon, who took them and showed them all of his riches, ironically the very riches that one day their children's children would plunder from Jerusalem. Hezekiah showed them the blessings that God had given, but somehow forgot to mention the name of the Lord. Do we ever make that mistake? Then came Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, who during the first half of his reign was pretty much the poster boy for everything God doesn't want a king to be. We find the word about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, Beginning in verse 3, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, 
practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He even took the image he had made and put it in God's temple. That's pretty bad. The summation, verse 9, Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Can you think of a more severe indictment than that? The worst indictment that Israel, the other tribes got, the ones that were destroyed before, the worst they ever got from God was that you have become so wicked I can't tell you apart from the other nations. But Judah, Judah became even worse than the nations God had driven out to establish them in the first place. So God sent the Assyrians back during Manasseh's day. And for once, a king of Judah got the message. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria. Now think about that for a second. Who's in charge of the nations of the world? The Lord sent the Assyrians, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Is God merciful? Manasseh's reign was long, 55 years. And it had a few hopeful moments. But the problem was he had led the people too far. And they would not be able to come back. Amon would follow his father to the throne. But he would prove more like his father in his early years than his father in his later years. And after two years on the throne, he was killed by officials in the court. The people of the land didn't like that they'd done this, so the people of the land then proceeded to kill the conspirators and took Amon's eight-year-old son named Josiah and put him on the throne. As Josiah grew, it turned out Josiah was a reformer, a king who sought to be faithful to the Lord. But the truth was, by his day, the sin of the people had become so great that they were never able to achieve anything more than an external form of reform. Their hearts had turned against the Lord. Josiah's faithfulness delayed the inevitable, but could not hold back the flood forever. And through folly, Josiah would meet his end. And it is here that we have to step back and look at the regional picture again. As Josiah was on the throne and serving as king, this was right during the time that the Assyrian Empire was beginning to collapse. Egypt had just rebelled and broken free, and the Medes and the Babylonians were beginning to attack. And it was, and Judah itself was still subject to the Assyrians. The, the empire is collapsing, but Judah's still in there. And the king of Judah is thinking, this is our chance to get free. 
So Josiah wanted to see the Assyrians fall. But it was at this point that Pharaoh Necho of Egypt would practice what we today call realpolitik. The practice of switching alliances for the purpose of national self-interest. You see, for a long time Assyria had dominated Egypt, but now Egypt had gotten free. Yet, as Egypt looked at the map and saw the rising power of the Babylonians and the Medes, they thought, what would be better than a diminished, weak Assyria to be a buffer state between us and these other powers? And so Pharaoh Necho marched his army out with the intent to help the Assyrians fight off the Medes and the Babylonians. The problem was Josiah wanted Assyria to fall, and so he did something very foolish. He tried to intervene. 2 Chronicles chapter 35. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish with the, on the Euphrates, and Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. But Necho sent messengers to him saying, what quarrel is there, king of Judah, between you and me? It is not you I am attacking at this time, but the house with which I am at war. God has told me to hurry. Who? So stop opposing God who is with me or he will destroy you. How do you feel about pagan kings claiming God told them to go? Well, the crazy thing is this time he did. Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself to engage in battle. He would not listen to what Necho had said at God's command, but went to fight him on the plains of Megiddo. Archers shot King jo Josiah, and he told his officers, take me away, I am badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. He was buried in the tombs of his ancestors, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned him. It was a crushing blow for the people. It was the fall of the last noble king of Judah, and the end of the last happy time before the days of destruction. Jeremiah the prophet knew Josiah and was prophesying in Jerusalem in those days. And the Bible adds this interesting note. Second Chronicles 35, 25. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah. And to this day, all the male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. Now, I told you that this series was about Daniel and we haven't mentioned him at all. Well, let me bring him up now. It is likely that Daniel was a young boy on the day that King Josiah was brought back mortally wounded to Jerusalem. And he no doubt learned the laments that Jeremiah had written for that king. And his own life would give him plenty of chances to sing those laments. As I said before, the days of Daniel's youth when he lived in Jerusalem were not happy and were not easy. 
The people of Jerusalem then took Jehoahaz, a 23-year-old son of Josiah, and made him king in Jerusalem. But this move did not please Pharaoh Necho, who suddenly now found himself as the dominant power of the region. And so after three months, he went to Jerusalem and took Jehoahaz off the throne. He took him and deported him back to Egypt, where Jehoahaz would die a powerless former king wasting away back in the land where it all began before Moses came to bring the people out. The fruit of unfaithfulness is bitter fruit indeed. Pharaoh Necho put another son of Josiah, Eliakim, on the throne of Judah as king and renamed him Jehoiakim, setting him up as Egypt's vassal and demanding 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold be given every year. But Jehoiakim was not a faithful king, so God sent him a message. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem for 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah son of Ammon king of Judah until this very day the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you again and again but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants the prophets to you again and again you have not listened or paid any attention. They said... Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. My what? And my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Who's in charge of the kings of the world? And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. As time went on, Egypt would not be strong enough to withstand the growing power of, of Babylon. And soon, instead of an Egyptian army surrounding the city of Jerusalem, Daniel, the young Daniel, would see a different army surrounding his city. An army with a leader that Daniel would one day know face to face. But no one, including Daniel, had any idea about that right now. So an aside, are you sure you can tell ahead of time which outcomes truly are God's will for your life? We pick up Jehoiakim's story. It all happened like Jeremiah said it would. Second Kings chapter 24 
During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land. And Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite. Who sent them? The Lord. Sent raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord was not willing to forgive. It was not a fun time to grow up in Jerusalem. Yet despite all this, Daniel loved Jerusalem, a fact we'll discover later in this series. Now, it's unclear exactly what became of Jehoiakim, with chronicles suggesting he was taken to Babylon, but kings suggesting that he rested with his ancestors, a phrase that might just mean he died, or it might mean that he was buried where his ancestors were buried. Regardless of what exactly became of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim became king in his father's place, but only lasted three months on the throne before falling to the siege of Nebuchadnezzar. 2 Kings chapter 24, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile. All the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land. And included in that list of the ones taken, a young man named Daniel, three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and very likely another man of the priestly line, named Ezekiel. Of that group, they could be forgiven for thinking that their lives were over and that there was no way now that they would ever do anything for God. They could be forgiven for thinking this way, but if they did, they were wrong. Because for each of those ones I named, God's purpose for them was just beginning. 
Now, this was not the point where Jerusalem was totally burned and the temple destroyed. That would happen later when the Babylonians would come back again, this time to put down the rebellion of King Zedekiah and the slaughter the next time would be horrible. I am certain Daniel did not want to be put in chains and led away from his home to Babylon. In fact, I'll bet it was the opposite of what he wanted. How could such a thing be God's will for him? And haven't you sometimes wondered, shouldn't God's will better align with what a person wants and what a person understands than it sometimes seems to? Exile did not line up with Daniel's life plan. Yet that is what Daniel got. What he had no idea of was what God was doing by putting him in chains. What he was doing was saving his life. Jeremiah chapter 24. After Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the skilled workers, and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem, after everyone skilled and able were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very bad figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. Amen. But like the bad figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule wherever I banish them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. Now, wrap your brain around this one if you can. It was all the good ones whose hearts were open to the Lord that got exiled to Babylon. And it was all the ones whose hearts would not yield that God left behind. Can you tell the difference between which things in your life are bad for you and which things in your life God is doing for your good? Is God allowed to use the opposite of what I want in fact, to become 
the means of my ultimate deliverance? Can he do the opposite? Let me take it further. The opposite of what we think is good or right or just or even fair. Can such things ever lead us into God's will? What if for some of us it isn't even possible for us to even begin our greatest purpose in life until every hope we've had is dashed? That was reality for Daniel. God had a great work for Daniel. A work not just for his people in Jerusalem, but a prominent work in a pagan court of the most powerful king in the land. Daniel could not do that from Jerusalem. And this makes a bigger point. Because everything was changing. Everything about God's plan would be different from now on. There would be no more kings of Israel and Judah. There would be no more national independence. And no more would the story of God's working with humans be about Israel alone. For already God's purpose had extended to the Gentile nations to the point where he was ordering them around to serve his purpose. You see, the point of Israel had never been that the physical descendants of Jacob would rule over the nations. Instead, the point was that one day Shiloh might come. Do you remember that very obscure word? It was the word of Jacob himself speaking of the day that through the line of Judah, Jesus would be born. God would use Daniel to speak truth in the courts of power. And through Daniel and through the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, God would reveal his eternal purpose down and beyond our day. And Daniel would write it down and we would spend this fall learning it. The point. We have to be committed to Jesus and to God's plan for our lives over and above everything else. And we can't ever lose our courage even when it seems to us that the plan has crashed, the plan has burned, and the plan has disappeared into oblivion. Because in truth, this may be just the start. That's how it was for Daniel. Your story isn't over until God gives you your rest. If you still draw breath, you may just be getting started. Can you keep your faith when nothing goes according to plan? Tough times bring forth faithful people. People strong in the Lord. Are you strong in the Lord? Would you make the trip to Babylon, leaving behind all that you had loved and hoped for, and still keep your faith? 
Do you trust Jesus that much? When I was younger, there was a song we used to sing that makes this point. It, its words go like this, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. God is working out his purpose in the world. The end is certain. And God will be victorious on the glorious day of Jesus appearing. May God find us faithful on that glorious day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to be those faithful people. So Lord, we commit ourselves to your plan for the world and your plan for our lives. And we pass up the right to stand off to the side and tell you you're doing it wrong. But please have mercy on us, for we are but flesh. And things are hard sometimes, and we don't understand. But strengthen us to have faith when the plan seems to have been destroyed. Faith to hang on and believe that what you have left may be greater than anything we've done yet. Give us that courage. In Jesus' name, amen.